Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I interview founders, uh, co-founders, entrepreneurs, executives, musicians, artists, everybody across the board in crypto and blockchain all around the world. And uh, I always bring you amazing guests. And today I have another amazing guest. His name is Martino Lucas Paris. Uh, hopefully I did the last name right. Well, hopefully correct. <laughs> Um, he is the head of public and regulatory affairs um, at the international consultancy firm and a university lecturer at Nova School of Law. Uh, Martino, welcome. Thank you very much, Jamal. And uh, thank you for hosting me here in your amazing podcast. It's, it's the honor is all mine. Pleasure. Uh, so uh, let's kick things off because uh, I'm really about today's topic and um, ask you the first question is what is your background and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Well, uh, that's a really interesting question. Um, well, I think a sort of this. So I have a kind of very diverse background because my, uh, so I'm legally, I'm trained as a lawyer. So I, I my university degree is in law. Um, here in Europe, unlike the US, we don't have the graduate division. So we do law as a bachelor degree. That's my, my formation, my academic background. And I'm a lawyer, registered with the Portuguese bar. Um, but uh, at the same time, I'm also an academic. I, I was an academic researcher, and I still am an academic researcher and a lecturer. I uh, uh, just uh, recently finished my PhD, uh, submitted a thesis, so I'm waiting for his defense. And, um, and what I do basically is a mixture of these two things. So I'm, uh, I'm not really a lawyer, I'm more of a consultant, uh, a business consultant, uh, but specialized in regulatory affairs. So it requires some kind of more, um, while lawyers have a more, let's say, technical job in terms of advising clients and et cetera, I'm more uh, handy on the business and what they have to do. Although my focus is always to try to establish better practices in regulatory affairs and also uh, in a way, fight for them uh, in, a, in discussing with regulators, uh, representing customers with uh, with the policymakers, uh, and et cetera. Basically, that. And um, so, at the you're both the international consultancy firm and the digital currencies governance group, right? And I'm the, mm -hmm. an individual member of the global DCA. Was yeah. similar. So what's your focus on for the current, for the governance group and what's your, what a unique perspective do you bring to the table that can help move the industry forward? So the, the digital currencies governance group is kind of, um, let's say it's more focused on public affairs. So in a way to uh, defend or educate uh, policymakers and regulators around the world about what is crypto, uh, what, what is the crypto industry, uh, what is the benefits that crypto is bringing to the table? How is the crypto industry organized? What are the interests of the crypto industry? Kind of making the intermediation between uh, crypto businesses and uh, regulators and policies all over. We're focused in Europe, but, uh, but also collaborate with regulators in, uh, in Dubai, for example, in Brazil. Um, and um, and I ICF is more, let's say, kind of a consulting arm of that. So instead of just working in policy and public affairs, we also do business development uh, of crypto businesses, always with an interest in how they comply with uh, current regulations or how they navigate all the problems that these regulations have. So it's kind of um, a two-faced job. At DCGG, I work more as a consultant 
uh, and I use my academic side more, so kind of drafting opinions, studying new initiatives that, for example, the EU is taking either on Mika or the AI Act or whatever, and um, and also try to make that bridge between uh, what our regulators looking at. There's this kind of information gap between the industry and regulators, and I'm trying just to make ends meet and see how how they can get together and build a better uh, regulation that is not only good for consumers, which is what regulators are concerned about, but also for businesses, right? So to kind of create a fostering innovative environment uh, full of entrepreneurs and that can also dynamize this, the jurisdiction in which this regulation is being applied. Excellent. I want to thank, I want to congratulate you first on the, uh, on the PhD and good way to you well on the, on the, on the defense. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> so you very much, Thank you very much. You're welcome. My wife's an attorney, so I get to pose all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's fun experience. <laughs> <laughs> I understand the feeling. But you mentioned Micah. And I want to yeah. um, it was approved last week. Um, so I want to find out from you, what are the highlights of that approval and what mm-hmm. would be, impact of this law? So uh, I'm going to start by answering the, the second part of your question because of the impact, because the impact I think is uh, is going to be huge in the sense that it's the first time that, well, first of all, it's uh, the first comprehensive piece of legislation that a significant political bloc, in this case the EU, uh, enacts, but there's no comparison in the world. Like There, there are jurisdictions that have their blockchain laws or, or rules, but none with this dimension as the EU. Imagine like the US now making a statue, a federal statue on crypto, which they're trying to do for some time, but it's, they're having some complications in trying to do this. So, um, and so this is gonna bring some kind of an advantage, a competitive advantage to the EU uh, in the sense that if you want regulatory certainty and regulatory clarity, which is something that is being very fought for, uh, also again, I don't wanna bring the US example but the US example is kind of paradigmatic in this. What can a crypto company do? Is a crypto company a financial company or not? If I issue a token, is a token a security or not? And, uh, and there's this very strong regulation by enforcement. Here is more, uh, let's say, um, let's say a, a preemptive form of regulation. So setting up the base for businesses to grow. And it, the impact is really interesting because it's going to be the same law. So it's an EU law. And it's going to be the same law for all EU member states. So if you want to incorporate a crypto business in Portugal, it's going to be the same rules as the crypto business in Germany. It's going to be the same rules as a crypto business in France. And so uh, you'll have basically 27 uh, nation states that are following the same requirements. And so the impact, I think, is going to be internally is going to be pretty big. So it's some states don't have in the EU don't have crypto regulations. And now they're going to start to have. But also, I think from an external perspective, looking at other countries uh, uh, in South America, Africa, North America, and, and Asia, uh, the EU took a very important first step, uh, and they're probably going to influence also how those states are going to take are are, are going to approach uh, crypto regulation. What Mika does basically is to um, set up a, a framework for the registration licensing of businesses that. Uh, uh, that are involved in economic activities with crypto assets. So uh, they either issue stable coins or issue, uh, in Mika, they're called asset reference tokens, uh, or, or if they issue e-money tokens, or if they issue uh, other types of tokens that are not 
that are neither of these first ones that I told, nor securities per se. If it is securities, then typical traditional financial regulation in the EU uh, applies. Um, and so Mika is important because of this, because it kind of devises a specific uh, framework for the crypto sector, uh, for the issuing, custody, uh, selling of crypto. Uh, and, uh, and at the same time, kind of cuts this regulation out of, so carves kind of this regulation uh, out of uh, financial regulation or traditional uh, financial regulation and banking regulation. So it becomes kind of a specific set of rules uh, for the business, which is also interesting. Uh, and in a way, it's also a source of complication because you never know also if when, um, when there's a superimposition of businesses and, and business practices, uh, how these rules are going to apply with financial rules or banking rules. So, but I, I don't think, I, I think that the impact either bad or good, it's going gonna, it's gonna to exist. It's going to be like a very significant impact in crypto businesses in the EU and beyond. All right. So before I find out what you think about the long-term impact, mm-hmm. I want to I go back to a comment where you said that you, can't, that you don't want to talk about the US, but I have to because I'm in the US. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. The EU is saying, you know what? I think what you just said, the EU said is our current laws were not adequate, so we had mm-hmm. to re- that and look and create a new law. And I see that happening in the Philippines, in Hong Kong, in Japan, in China, and everywhere. Mm-hmm. While the SEC in the US says, you know, we have this law that's 90 years old and before the advent of technology, and it applies today. You know, why is that so wrong? And um, what should the US learn from what you guys are doing? Well, I think the US. Um I think the U.S. has something which uh, we Europeans are always like uh, jealous of, which is you're much more dynamic in terms of, um, of of your markets, whatever they are. So you're you have a more entrepreneurial society, and you also feel you're less risk averse than Europeans, and that's also seen in the way the regulation exists and the way also that your legal system in a way works. You're much more, let's say, uh, you're much more pro litigation in a way, like, let's do things. And if something bad happens, then we'll solve it in courts. And uh, also because you have a common law system where precedent takes uh, a very important setting of, of legal impact, uh, contrary, for example, to a lot of uh, jurisdictions in Europe, which are civil law based. So we, we rely more on statutes than in fact on litigation. Um, this uh, this it can be seen in adventure. Like if you look at the state of the crypto market of like a big crypto companies and et cetera, the US uh, has much more crypto companies or at least still has much more crypto companies than the EU. I think what the US can learn is that uh, a lot of crypto com- businesses in the US uh, started to try to do because they could or they thought they could start to go into areas like a financial law, securities law, uh, where the US has a very strong enforcement uh, practice. And in the EU, uh, things are like enforcement is seen usually as a last resort, like if something is not really complying with the rules. Uh, and before we try to understand why, or in general, I mean, there are jurisdictions in Europe that are a bit more aggressive than others. Uh, some of them, they are more, let's say, conservative uh, in the way they receive new technologies than others. But I think in general, there's this interest in trying to understand what is happening and uh, what, what they can bring to the table. And I think what we did in the EU that the US could learn is 
we understood that if we don't regulate this now, this is going to go out of our hands. Because what we had in the EU was that some member states like Malta, um, France also started having some rules, Lithuania, they were already issuing rules specific to crypto. And so you, you started having this distortion where you have some member states that are like uh, in the front of the line um, and other member states that also want a piece of the cake, but they also have other regulatory concerns that they don't know very well how to tackle. So Miku is also a way of trying to create, let's say, a level playing field among the member states um, and by setting these common rules. And I think that in the US would be very important uh, on the sea. But again, it depends on, I think, with how things have evolved in the US, specifically with the second enforcements on basically everything that moves and, and issues crypto. Uh, I, I was not following and, and reading yesterday like Coinbase's uh, now move, right? Where they want kind of uh, litigate against the SEC and the SEC's understanding to try to see and change their view. And I think, and, and maybe that's the way that things have to be done in the US, like through litigation to, which is another form uh, of political procedure or policymaking. Um, I don't think that it's probably the most advantageous because it's very focused, right? Coinbase is going to litigate on their terms and uh, the SEC is going to have to engage with Coinbase on the terms of that specific case. And then we're going to have to try to extract general rules for the rest of the sector. We'll see in the EU, you have the general rules already here. I'm not saying that the EU's approach is perfect because although we have a general law that will apply in exact terms in all member states, there are still many differences in applications. For example, the law doesn't discuss anything regarding AML, for example. Mika doesn't discuss anything. And AML is going to be the subject of a new directive. So, and it, which means that, and directives, we have two different systems of harmonizing national law in the EU. So we can do either regulation, like Mika, which uh, is directly applicable in its terms on all e, uh, EU member states. So, they can, so EU member states don't need to do anything. They don't need to transpose, it's like federal law. And then we have this directive, which is a federal law, which the member states have to transpose into, into their own national laws. And this allows for some flexibility on the part of the member states and to, to acknowledge and to kind of carve out nation, certain national exceptions to this. And so, and also let's, another difference is that the crypto market is not the same in all EU member states, right? So member states like Germany are much more developed, they have much more venture capital backing than these type of companies. Uh, for example, banks in Germany can already custody uh, crypto assets. Um, in, uh, or in France, for example, there are already specific rules for people that want to do ICOs. So in Portugal, uh, there are no rules for ICOs. There are no rules for banks to hold crypto or not. Uh, there are only rules for businesses that want to do crypto businesses to register for AML purposes. But so th the picture is still gonna be a little bit fragmented and a, a bit of tuning and cooperation between member states is going to have to be done. It's interesting you mentioned ICO because I was an ICO advisor back in 2017. And somebody told me, said to me, uh, the U.S. market is the only market that matters. And that's no longer true, mm -hmm. uh, I believe. And I believe that other markets like the EU are going to be very impactful. So what do you think will be the long-term effects of MICA, including the challenges that lie ahead 
And how does the EU navigate these challenges collectively? Because like you said, there's a disparity between the different countries. Um, well, MICA took some time to be approved, right? This was not an easy process. And I remember when the first proposal by, of MICA was, uh, was put forward on the table, I think we were around 2019, 2020, um, that... Everyone was saying, oh, but wait a minute, you guys are regulating ICOs. And ICOs was a 2017 thing. Now we have, I don't know, NFTs. Now DeFi is starting to take place. And for example, NFTs are excluded from MICA. Uh, uh, DeFi uh, is also not, it, it, well, a lot of people say that DeFi is not covered by MICA. Others say that there might be some areas where DeFi is going to be impacted by MICA. But the fact is that when Mika was being approved last week, there were already discussions in Brussels about the Mika 2. So a new set of regulatory uh, measures that are going to cover specifically DeFi or decentralized finance and uh, other developments. Also, there's a lot of, let's say, secondary legislation. Let's call it like that. For example, rules on the U.S. now uh, reforming rules on data management for business purposes. Uh, and uh, there are rules there that people say are going to impact the smart contracts on blockchains and how you develop smart contracts for privacy reasons. You have, and uh, also uh, the AI regulation that is coming forward, you have rules on the digital operational resilience of financial institutions. So, and you also have, uh, it, changes to EU financial rules to try to accommodate security tokens or, or tokenized securities, whatever they, they're going to have to call them in the end. So um, Mike, I think, is the first step in the conversation. I don't think it's an ideal first step because uh, legislators move slowly and the market doesn't wait for regulators. And so it's, it's ever evolving. Um, and so um, this was kind of a first step in, in trying to regulate the market, but there's still a lot to be done and still a lot of discussions to happen. And we don't know also how the market is going to play out. So now we're, we're seeing we're just coming off the Ethereum becoming a proof of stake uh, protocol. Uh, we're coming off, we don't know where they're going to be the major DeFi players in uh, a year or two years. Uh, we're still, there. people are expecting through this kind of inflationary crisis, uh, it, to see how Bitcoin's price and adoption is going to grow or not. Uh, so there's a lot of uncertainty also in the market and how this, we don't see how AI still is going to be uh, combined with blockchain or not. What are the major applications they are going to bring to the table? So we're still in this kind of cloud or in the metaverse. Remember the metaverse, everyone's talking about the metaverse. How is the metaverse going to come? So if, if you are a small state, that can regulate, uh, they want to regulate things, you have an advantage because you're small, so you can regulate things pretty quickly. If you're a big political, uh, I'm going to call it polity in the way, but the, the EU is not a state, but to call it uh, just an international organization, I don't think is also correct. Um, you take more time to do this because it's so many different interests, right? It's a bit like when you look at Congress and the Senate and how the crypto bills and the discussions around crypto are evolving, right? Uh, they've listened to everyone since uh, Facebook wanted to do Libra. Now they're also listening to Gensler. They like it, it, and and but when you see the action that they want to do or not, it's not clear. It's not clear how the US is moving. So 
so I think Meek is a, maybe resuming is a, an, an interesting first step uh, and a necessary first step, but it's that a first step. A lot of things still are going to have to be fine tuned, and I think we have to wait for the next one to two years to understand uh, how that's going to play. A funny thing, and with this just finishing the answer, is that Mika was approved last week, but it's only coming into force fully in one year and a half. So when Mika comes into force really member states, member states are all already trying to prepare themselves and businesses in Europe are already preparing themselves for this. But in two years' time, I don't know how the market is going to be. And if Mika is going to have any advantage or if everyone is going to be just launching DAOs and decentralized and DeFi's and going outside of the scope of Mika. So let's wait and see how it's, how it's going to play. Interesting times. Yeah, so you mentioned some of the, actually a few follow-ups. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned some of the subsectors, right? The Mika covers or doesn't cover. Mm-hmm. And what do you think are some of the areas they need to look at, like in some of these subsectors, like DeFi, like the metaverse, NFT, and gaming, which are the big four right now, mm-hmm. um, and the shifting regulatory waters and the issues? What do you see as potentially coming down the pike they got to look at or the challenges they're going to have looking at it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this really interesting question. Uh, I'm going to have to be spe- speculative, but my, my hunch and from what I see in Brussels and uh, in other member states, I think the biggest uh, thing they're going to try to deal with is DeFi, decentralized finance. So the provision of financial services uh, or, or services that can be equivalent to financial activity um, through the issuance of tokens, uh, liquidity, stakings, uh, money makers, AMMs, etc. through uh, computer programs, so through protocols and decentralized protocols. I think that is the the way they're going to look because um, one thing is Mika is more, if we have to be honest, is more about, let's say, exchanges or, uh, or companies issuing tokens per se, but it's not about really the, the decentral, decentralization and about centralized protocols and about how these protocols connect with one another, about algorithmic stable coins, for example. Uh, it's, uh, so it doesn't enter into that world also because of the challenges in entering the world. Like, uh, who are you going to regulate? Like, a lot of regulation is about um, liability of the market actors. Like, uh, who is going to be liable? Uh, the, and also the, the, the model in which certain protocols work, I think about Ethereum, for example, where you have, let's say, this decentralized governance or this distributed governance where you have many different players, all of them financing developers all over the world to try to participate. So who is going to be liable? Is the whole system? Is everyone that holds Ethereum and therefore contributes to the governance of the protocol through its proof of stake. Um, and, and there are challenges here. And I think the main challenge uh, for European regulators is going to be how to handle the intersection between crypto and trade fines, so traditional fines. Uh, in the sense of, not in the sense of, so basically the thing that the US is now dealing with, which is, uh, the SEC is basically saying every token in a way is a security. So we're going to regulate like basically every token. Um, that we see, except for those that maybe the commodities uh, institute uh, regulator said that are already commodities, and so maybe we're not going to touch into that in that place. But 
the thing is in Europe, uh, people are not are very scared of defining a security token. Also because the definition, you have the Howey test in the, in the US and in the EU, we have uh, each, there are member states that have different notions of what uh, security is. And so the EU regulation is purposely left open. Uh, there are examples or common examples of what security is, for example, share, bonds, uh, an ETF or a derivatives contract. But there's always this kind of open gap that regulators don't want to close. And this has potential disadvantages for crypto. For example, let's think of a game, of gaming, right? And because what crypto brings to the table is uh, it facilitates, let's say, the financialization or the monetization of uh, digital value, right? So uh, we can be, let's say, making through crypto and through decentralized protocols, uh, let's say, I don't know, ETFs or whatever you want uh, over... I don't know, uh, weapons in the metaverse or uh, items in the metaverse. Uh, maybe we can even make, let's say, a lease in the metaverse or mortgage and uh, in the metaverse and then sell it as a token. I, I don't know. I'm thinking you can think of gazillions of possibilities on this. And if this is considered, and there is always a slim chance because it's, it, it's about, uh, there's this, uh, always a thing, which is uh, if it looks like a duck, if it, if it quacks like a duck, if it flies like a duck, then it is a duck. It's a way that regulators, even in Europe, are looking a lot like this. And there's, then there's this fear of like, okay, then everything that has been done in crypto, be it gaming, be it NFTs, be it that it's similar to or equivalent to a financial instrument, is finance. And so it should be regulated by finance. And so forget Mika, forget Mika too. It's uh, let's go all to financial regulation. So... And my fear is uh, how this line is going to be uh, drawn, where it's going to be drawn and how. Um, and and th that's the thing that I see. So regulators are going to, the regulators are going to be more focused on in the next years. And, uh, and, and in order to capture what, what, which I think in Portuguese, we have this expression, which is, I, I know, I think maybe you also have it in English, which is the golden goose, right? Uh, the golden goose or the, the chicken with the golden eggs. We call it the chicken with the golden eggs. So, uh, so the, the most precious treasure is the chicken with the golden eggs. And the chicken with the golden eggs is DeFi because it's the one that generates more liquidity, generates more, ha can have more impact also in terms of financial stability, systemic risk. So how this is going to be covered by your regulations is the $1 million question that everyone is waiting to see. I agree with that. <laughs> I do. Um, so. Interesting. So there's also another component, and you mentioned this. You said this past week or uh, weekend, the uh, EU pushed forward with its new artificial intelligence framework, the new AI mm -hmm. framework. How does this framework intersect with the MICA rules and regulations for crypto, or does it not? Um, it, that's, that's also a really good question, because uh, it's still unclear at the point. So one thing is, crypto Mika is a sector-based regulation. So it focuses on the, the sector of crypto assets, selling, custody, issuing crypto assets uh, in the market. And AI is a more is a broader kind of regulatory framework because it's not only about crypto. It's not only it's it's basically about every any kind of economic activity that uses AI technology. Um, and one of the biggest problems that's being discussed is. Uh, Shouldn't uh, these uh, shouldn't the regulation be let's say 
uh, trimmed into kind of sub-regulations or subsets of rules for different economic sectors because uh, it's basically saying that if you want to use a, a deep learning AI on finance, it's the same thing as using deep learning fi AI on other kind of uh, businesses. And it might not be like that. It can be different. But so the thing is, we don't know very well that Mika doesn't talk anything about AI um, or the use of AI uh, instruments for, uh, let's say, issuing or custody of the business. And so the suspicion is that the AI regulation is going to apply also to crypto businesses. The question then will be how, uh, let's say, some exchanges or some protocols use uh, AI mechanisms um, because the, the, the AI regulation basically does, uh, does kind of a risk assessment of AI uh, mechanisms. So you have like a very, you have certain AI mechanisms that are pro prohibited, just full on, like uh, some of them concerning uh, social scores and all that stuff. But then you have some that are kind of high level risk that need to be regulated. Like, uh, you know, you have to have, it's called usually the black box problem. You also, you have to have access to uh, their algorithm, or at least there has to be some kind of transparency of how their algorithm works, duty of information from the company that is producing the algorithm and using the algorithm to serve the, the business or using the, the AI application to serve the business. So, um, so there are many, uh, there's still very uh, big uncertainty on this. But if you think about, protocols, and again, we go back to DeFi, if you think about crypto protocols that make use of very complex uh, uh, programs uh, and AI-based programs for uh, calculating, for example, liquidity pools and transfer of liquidity from one pool to the other, uh, making investments, stabilization of uh, stable coins, and et cetera. Um, so very high complex smart contracts in a way where would they fit within this risk assessment? Will they be high level risks? Would they be low level risk? And so it's still something that the industry is, is, care, is scared of uh, because um, especially DeFi, the DeFi industry, because one thing is you are a company and you have to present your, uh, this is already challenging for companies, right? If you produce an AI instrument because you have to, uh, be open about the AI instrument that you're using and having information to explain this AI instrument and how it works. Uh, with, and with very complex AI systems, this can be very challenging. Now, imagine that if you are a decentralized protocol or a team behind a decentralized protocol, and uh, then how do you pr pr use this? Especially when, for example, you might have uh, <coughs> other teams uh, working in that decentralized protocol that are not managed by you, the main team. So, you know, still, uh, it, 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 my fear is that, um, uh, is that there will not be any kind of like specific framework for crypto and that can bring challenges to its application. But at the same time, when AI comes into force or the AI relation is to come into force, which is still a bit unclear now at, at, this, at this stage, but even if it comes into force in late this year or early next year, uh, we still don't have any rules for DeFi. So <laughs> we're still going to be a, waiting to see what is going to happen uh, on that front. And maybe there can be a connection or a work between regulators uh, in the uh, trimming of the AI Act for uh, financial institutions and then also for crypto businesses. You know, 
AI to me makes a lot of sense in the manufacturing area. And I worked in insurance for a long time in my life and insurance too. And then you just mentioned, you know, with the algorithm, with the algorithms, with trading, with the mm-hmm. exchange sense for those decisions. But, you know, if you back up to, to the blockchain itself, how do you think those, that AI can intersect with the crypto, you know, in the infrastructure and how, how is that something that Michael should look at long-term or is that, you know, never going to come into play? Well, um, a difficult question. Um, not being, I have some computer uh, programming uh, formation, uh, not enough, not even close to kind of be able to evaluate the possibility of AI. I did some research on AI uh, in, in, in FinTech applications. But one thing that I can see is, for example, how AI can be used or AI programs can be used, for example, for um, the interaction between, for interoperability between protocols, for example, and between the use of, uh, or even for governance uh, uh, of certain protocols or to, in in the exercise of, let's say, uh, taking decisions, issuing decisions, applying decisions in the protocol, I can see some options where that can happen. Of course, in the user experience of protocols in the UX, uh, the use of AI or chatbots or some kind of uh, tools on that might be useful. But I see it at trading, of course, also so exchanges will use it and are already using it to some extent. But I think the biggest, one biggest area where with blockchain on, uh, can, can bring is on interoperability, chain interoperability. Because we still don't, okay, Ethereum is arguably the largest chain in the market arguably the largest uh, operator and the one that everyone is developing. And um, even the fact that there are layer twos is a tribute to the layer one, but it's not the only ecosystem that exists. There's still a lot of ecosystems still, let's say the battle for the silver of, um, in the gold of Ethereum is, is still going on. And in, in for, I'm making a parallel, for example, what happens, uh, with uh, the idea of open banking, right? Uh, There's this idea of open banking or, and even connecting also uh, financial, selling financial products with banking products and with insurance products and making it all together possible. Uh, And AI plays a significant role on this in the way that you can manage and even predict and work within this framework. Why not use also AI for the interoperability of different chains, of different tokens, of of different, market makers and products. Uh, of course, the problem with AI is always who is the one who is developing the AI program and how is that AI prog- program going to be incorporated as a kind of an API or whatever within the system, right? But, um, but it's, or, or even let's say smart contracts are not, a, are not AI per se. They're not, they're more, uh, they're not predictive. They they're more deterministic in a way. Uh, if I do this, then this, this, that. But maybe some smart contracts can also start becoming a little bit more clever in trying to take options. Let's say if this happens, but uh, if there are other options, then maybe I can take this other option. So to start acting uh, based on uh, probability of situations when, for example, making investments in the DAO or or transferring uh, liquidity from one protocol to the other, or even managing, for example, pegging systems and algorithm 
stable coins or uh, or other stable coins or other DeFi protocols. I don't know. I'm 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 speculating, but I see that there might be some things. But again, I don't know what the potential of AI will be. Like if uh, if AI is all about ChatGPT, uh, yeah, cool, but you know, it's not going to bring let's say something so new to the table on this. Uh, if AI becomes something a little bit more um, advanced and that could act uh, more autonomously in within, I think it can match up pretty well with crypto, uh, but then bring also other challenges, uh, governance of this AI, governance of the protocols, et cetera. I would say that. I asked you to speculate because I've been looking at this market since, you know, past years and following it like all the time right and i did not see this new meme coin wave coming <laughs> and you're building these regulations you're looking at everything you think you know everything you think you have you have everything covered and then something like this meme coin thing pops off out of nowhere right <laughs> how do you like how do you begin to even like play whack-a-mole you know <laughs> building these regulations yeah, well, it's um, going back to the going back to what we were saying in the beginning between the U.S. and the EU system. One th one thing good about the U.S. is that these whack-a-moles, these mem coins, these uh, whatever or and whatever is in the pipeline can appear because people are just yeah, why not go in there? And and um, and in Europe, uh, the problem is that they can also appear. Uh, but then, and uh, but people are a bit more scared of trying to to bring them on because they see this very big uh, and heavy set of regulations that are in place, and don't know very well how to how to fight it or how to uh, mingle with that. But the problem with regulation, there's always kind of a the hare and the turtle thing, right? Uh, it, it, more than technology, human uh, creativity. Uh, is always one step ahead of what happened before. And then the problem for policymakers, lawmakers, is what do we do? Do we, do we start like doing laws like crazy? Do we start like legislating like nuts? Every time, let's say a mem law, a mem coin law, uh, or amending existing laws to try to, and, and this, there are, there are states um, that try to do this uh, in Europe, uh, and the, the problem is that suddenly you have this very burdensome legal system, complex, you know, that you never know very well how to work with. So what do you do? You don't do anything. You just let the market go. And well, the problem is that you're, there are people in the market, specifically consumers, and, but even other businesses, can, are not going to be sufficiently protected if you have these kind of mem coins and other systems going up. So you have to find some middle ground uh, on this. Um, and, and, uh, and one way is, for example, also apply previous regulation to this, right? Kind of the U.S. is saying, like, we have this 90-year-old regulation, we have the Howey test, we have all of this. So let's just, you know, force the Howey test into this or, or try to adapt the Howey test to this or try to adapt this to the Howey test or kind of a, a more iterative regulation. None of the solutions in a way is ideal because the world in itself is always this kind and the market is this monster of dynamics that are ever contradictory. It pulls to one side, and when we go to the side, it's already pulling to the other, it's already pulling to the other, it's already pulling to the other. And, um, and so from a legal standpoint, I think that 
it's good to have some sort of regulation, but regulation that works with uh, open principles, let's call it like that, or statutes that are open principles, uh, that are some, there can be some rule-like uh, precepts, but I think that principle-based precepts would be better because they're broader, they're more open, and they're easier to manage. And then there has to, be, there has to exist kind of a regulatory culture where uh, that is, uh, let's say, uh, conscious enough of the market. So understanding that there is a market, we need to leave the market to work to a certain extent. But we also need to jump in when the market is not able to take care of itself because the market most of the time also cannot take care of itself in some parts, at least my view. This is a very highly personal view. I admit that uh, it, it might be discussed. But, and so this kind of where to join in with this balance, there's, that's the key. Uh, but that's why I think that legislation should be, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a bit conservative on that in the sense that I think that old regulation, uh, there's nothing like, there's no new things to be regulated. All of this, if we, if we think well about crypto, existed before with financial markets, existed before with iron markets, existed before in, you know, with currency wars, all of this existed before. This is just done in new ways with new complexities, but it's, it's, it can be drawn to other logics, normative logics that we had before, and maybe we can apply to them. But we have to understand that norm, some, why those normative logics were put in place and how they make sense in today's world. And today's world is not a world of, let's say, of uh, shipbuilding and uh, going around the world, et cetera. This is the world of, of memcoins. <laughs> you know, this is the world of AI. This is the world of ChatGPT. This is a world of uh, podcasts being recorded uh, via Zoom between Portugal and the US in a, in a simple and fair way, right? And, and, this is, and this is the world where we live. And, um, and so I think that policymakers and regulators have, have a daunting job have a really daunting job. I, I, I don't envy them at all. I have to work with them. I have sometimes work to, to work, not really against them because you're not really never against a regulator, but you have to work with them and try to make things with them. But I, I envy their test. I, I, I don't envy their, their test, that's what I want to say, um, because I understand the difficulties. But I think that there has to be, let's say, an openness to new developments and to new rules and a very good tech, technical knowledge of the rules in order to try to apply them and to reach common goal, which is uh, social development and prosperity for everyone involved. I agree. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, so, and thank you for answering my difficult questions today. <laughs> I uh, hope, I hope I did them. I did well. You did they, were, well. They, were very, they were very demanding questions, but they were good. You, they were did, good. you did well. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And, and I have one last question and it's sure. easy. Okay. okay. How could people, and more information about you and about your company, what you do, how can they do that? Okay, uh, so, we, um, so we are based in, in Europe, although we work, as I told you, with, um, with companies from around the world, with, from, from, uh, from Asia, from Europe countries, from, uh, from the US also, from Latin America. Uh, we're still a young team, small team, trying to expand. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, we do, if, if there are, let's say, policy concerns regarding uh, the way that crypto regulation is being applied or doubts or questions, uh, we can help you navigate this. We can help you develop products and uh, understand what are the re regulatory requirements that you need to have in your, 
they need to have in order to sell these products in the jurisdictions where you are. We can engage with stakeholders, other stakeholders, the policymakers, in order to try to advance your, your, your concerns and try to uh, have a voice in this regulatory discussion. And it can also help you uh, with, let's say, providing regulatory assessments on jurisdictions, on business practices, on new developments, and uh, help you with, with any kind of uh, issues that you have uh, regulatory-wise with your crypto business. That's basically why we do. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, thank you, me, Jamil. And thank you. Congrats for your podcast. Um.